I do think it it's a little bit more accessible than most um, classics. I'll tell you why though, because it's funny. Mr. Collins is showing Lizzie round in a very kind of take a look at what you could have won bullseye thing. <laughs> he's on the very definition of a hiding to nothing. If he's hoping to get her to be jealous at that point, surely. Look, see what you missed. See my complete collection of every boring sermon ever delivered, arranged in order of dullness. Hello. Welcome to episode two of Shark Liverall's coverage of Pride and Prejudice. I'm Matt. I'm Dave. Hello. Are you going to do that voice every time? Yeah. Excellent. I just... I've never heard you sound that well-spoken before. That's our special introduction to, to the Pride and Prejudice version. What? We keep, we're keeping it classy. Talking like an Englishman in a, in a sitcom populated entirely by Americans. Is that what it is? You might believe that I couldn't possibly say. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah, so this is our second part of uh, our coverage of Pride and Prejudice. Today we're reading from chapters 17 to 33. So it's quite a big chunk to get through. And there's quite a lot of plots, quite a lot of things to happen. There's a marriage, just a you know, spoiler alert, um, and some other things. Anyway. Well, you go, you're going to go into the first spoiler and then be like, oh, and other matters also eventuate. <laughs> yeah. Well, you'll find out as we go. It's probably, you know, if you're reading along with us, then you already know what's happened. Yeah. To be honest, if you have any um, interest in popular culture at all, you'll probably have a vague idea of what happens, because this is one of the most famous stories of all time, isn't it? It is, yeah. And I think it deserves that. I, and I'm always blown away by it when I think about like how how early it was written, do you know what I mean? Like, it's like 70 years before Dickens sort of thing. Yeah. I do think it, just in a general point, it's a little bit more accessible than most um, classics. You're not wrong. I'll tell you why, though, because it's funny. Because in this particular chunk, there were a number of times where I was like, this woman is committing intolerable violence on the English sentence. Do you know what I mean? Like, you'd have the bit where <laughs> the, like, the, there'd be one crucial word in the middle of one sentence which refers to a subject established three sentences ago, and you'd have to go back and rummage through. Yeah. But most novels of that age have that problem, and most other novels of that age aren't funny, whereas this one is hilarious. Mm. So it kind of keeps you, it keeps you in, you know. Come for the jokes, yeah. stay for the cryptic crossword approach to prose. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so diving into it now. Chapter 17. And this is the fallout after, if you remember, uh, Lizzie had found out that Darcy had sort of screwed Wickham out of his dad's inheritance. Bum, 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 bum. Yeah, and now she's having a chat with Jane about it. And Jane, of course, being the nice, everybody's lovely person she is. Yeah thinks that it, it must be some kind of great misunderstanding between the two, mm. um, which is quite... I mean, she she very, very... Well, she, she does her absolute best to, to never see any bad in anybody, doesn't she, Jane? Which yeah. is another example of that. She's just lovely, isn't um, she? Could we rename her Lovely Jane for the rest of the book? <laughs> lovely Jane, yeah, we'll do that. All right. Uh, there's this so there's another ball there's another ball at Netherfield, of course. A L- lot of balls um, at Netherfield, I've heard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Lizzie, in sort of a, a rush of um, just, I don't know, <laughs> ill-advised um, rush of uh, politeness, 
invites Mr. Collins to the uh, to the ball. Oh, he's more out of his... want of something to say, isn't it? He's more like kind of like, oh, there's a party. Um, you can you can come if you want. Oh, don't, tell you yeah. what though, don't bring the big book of sermons. Probably save that for when we really want a wild time. <laughs> well, uh, well, yeah, she said she offers him to to go, fully expecting him to say no in the same way, you know. Must have been that situation before. You think something that someone isn't going to want to do, so you may as well invite him, even if you don't want him there. And he accepts. <laughs> and not only does he say that, he says, "I'll have the first two dances with you as well." And it suddenly dawns on Lizzie that uh, the wife <laughs> is looking for maybe, maybe her. <laughs> I just you can almost see, even though it's not described, you can almost see Lizzie's face going, "Oh, yeah, yeah. great, let's dance." Good, Twice. <laughs> I just this is one of the, this is one of the first of many examples in this particular little chunk of the book of Mr. Collins just being like totally clueless. Like we and we've been introduced to him last time as this like this guy who thinks that uh, you know appropriate repartee is reciting somebody else's sermon after dinner to everybody in the house. But yeah. but he goes up a notch here. He really ups his game from slightly awkward house guest to like thunderously boring like almost heroically crap human being <laughs> self-important and uh, and overconfident and so dull great fantastic stuff so onto the ball mr wickham doesn't turn up and uh, the general feeling is that it's probably because he's avoiding darcy yeah and that uh, bastard. That's quite like yeah I quite like this cut quote as, as Lizzie's thinking about how much she dislikes Mr. Darcy. Um, there's also this sense that she might quite like him as well, which is picked up on by another one of the characters. And she thinks, heaven forbid, to find a man agreeable whom one is determined to hate. And that probably sums up two-thirds of the plot, doesn't it? It really does. There are a number of points where this is always made for an English literature course, isn't it, where you just look through it and you get, right, pull that quote, there we go, pull that quote, mm. sprinkle them throughout the essay. It's that sort of thing, isn't it? But you're absolutely just a perfect summation of the whole Elizabeth kind of Mr. Darcy thing. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. There's, um, there are these, so these series of dances, which is pretty much what happens at these balls, and it appears from, I don't know, what I can see here, that each dance lasts about half an hour and normally you have a chat during that time because it, obviously it's quite a long time. Mm. But um, but Dar- Darcy doesn't sometimes. He just sort of doesn't speak at all all the way through. So here's, a, here's the thing with Darcy, right? Like, clearly he's quite a reserved guy, but I think at this point we have to ask the question about whether or not he's just a tool. Like, <laughs> it's one thing being reserved. I understand that. We've all been there. Where you're just not feeling terribly kind of terribly voluminous in 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 social kind of settings, maybe you just want to hang out. I don't really want to have to make mm-hmm. a lot of conversation. That's fine. But mm-hmm. dancing with somebody, and then like, what does he do? Stare off into the middle distance for half an hour, <laughs> like impeccable footwork and not an ounce of eye contact. I think that that <laughs> falls across the line from you know a little bit shy to come on, son, get involved. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> What do you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think you're right. Well, it, it it's quite a nice window into his character as well because he just he, he doesn't do um, sort of small talk. cheerful 
small talk, does he? Yeah, no, no exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. It, when he does it, it's it's a little bit fumbling. Um, yeah, in fairness, I suppose play to your strengths. Like if you know that you've yeah. got no chat, don't go out there and and try it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, the last time he was at a ball that we've been at. Um, he was in the corner getting wrecked next to someone who was supposed to be talking to. So. <laughs> yeah, at least he's not actively getting hammered this time. I suppose that's a very good thing. <laughs> a very good thing. There's step in the right direction. Let's call it a step in the right direction. Yeah. There are these stories flying around about um, Wickham and how he might not be all he's cracked up to be. The first person who reveals this is uh, one of... Uh, Bingley's sisters, who you know are particularly the best sources of information, um, she basically warns Lizzie off him and bad mouths Wickham basically for his birth and his status, and Lizzie can quite easily brush that off. But then when she's speaking to Jane later, Jane has heard similar stories, and again Lizzie sort of rejects them. Mm. And it might be a little example here of sort of her being so wrapped up in somebody that she just doesn't want to think about any any bad points yeah I think that's that's definitely an element of it as well uh, but also I think is there a bit of a hate crush going on with her and Darcy at this point like is she kind of so into Wickham because she wants to hate Darcy so much mm. Mm. could be that couldn't it yeah I kind of I feel like there's there's more here than simply you know because if you dislike somebody then you dislike them you know you don't go yeah. looking to be head over heels for their like sworn enemy yeah yeah exactly um there's this bit where Mr. Collins goes over to introduce himself to Mr. Darcy. Uh, apparently, this is this is apparently extremely rude um, <laughs> because of the uh, the way the statuses work and various things. Although Collins says that because he's a member of the clergy, he transcends all that. Isn't <laughs> <laughs> it just absolutely perfect? I mean, Collins in particular, I just find him so entertaining because he's such an ass. Like, <laughs> I know nothing about the sort of social mores of that time and place and the rest of it. But even I am like kind of, you're a clergyman, so you transcend this, despite the fact that you spend most of your time talking about how important the social status of you and your patroness is. Yeah. Hmm. It's funny because the very... Um, action of sort of saying oh balls to all this social nicety stuff and if i want to go and speak to somebody i'm going to do it you especially nowadays you're immediately inclined to think that is quite a good thing it's something you'd root for a character who does absolutely that. yeah but it's, but it's quite a it's quite a, a feat for him to to do it in a way that you still think <laughs> is a prop well <laughs> that's very true although later on in this bit like elizabeth does that in a way which like has us on her side like mm. later on in this bit where she meets um she meets Lady Catherine de Bourgh and it's very sort of um you're very like she's just totally like unawed by the whole experience and you're like, Yeah, go yeah. on, Lizzie. Yeah. <laughs> Kinda of yeah. get in there, love. Where is where is with Collins? He's only pretending that social niceties don't apply to him because his whole conversation is that he's desperate for social niceties to apply to him to his advantage. And that's what yeah. he's really trying to do. He's not going over there in order to say, as a member of the clergy, I speak to rich and poor in the same similar voice. He's going over there to go, uh, please, sir, you're related to the woman who could make me very, very wealthy. Would you mind being my friend, please, sir? Thank you. <laughs> and using yeah. kind of egalitarianism as an excuse, which is just... It doesn't, you know, the shoe does not fit. The egalitarian shoe does not fit Mr. Collins' feet. Yeah. I quite like 
Darcy's reaction as well, which you could, I don't think anyone's ever done this before. And there's just this bit where Lizzie's watching them and she's obviously thoroughly enjoying the spectacle. And it says, uh, Mr. Darcy was eyeing him with unrestrained wonder. <laughs> just like, what? <laughs> you can almost hear him, like Mr. Darcy, somehow, like in uh, like sideburns and top hat and frock coat, just going, uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I think it's like it's like a an elephant's just crashed into the room and started talking to him. It's like what the <laughs> what, what the fuck is going on? And I think I mean this doesn't obviously it's difficult to read Pride and Prejudice and experience Mr. Darcy as the character who he is painted as for like most of the book cuz yeah. you know it's cuz we've seen adaptations of it and we sort of know Spoiler alert. Spoilers. Sorry, we sort of know what's going to happen. And and if you don't, congratulations on getting this far. Um, but um, but in this scene, they neither of them come off terribly well, do they? Mr. Collins is pompous, and Mr. Darcy is so wrapped up in his self-important worldview of rank and privilege that he's literally unable to conceive of the concept of somebody walking up to him and saying, hello, how are you? My name's Mr. Collins, without it being like like a dancing bear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very strange. Yeah. Um a couple of other characters don't really do themselves justice um as the evening goes on. Uh, Mrs. Bennett, there's this bit where they all sit down for dinner and Mrs. Bennett just goes on and on and on and on about Jane and um and how great a match they'd be with uh, with Mr. Bingley and everyone's just finding it excruciating. It is it's, it's so like you can almost hear everybody going Uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to, to lighten the mood, Mary has another sing song. Um, that's one of the sisters. You know, the sister who's quite, who's the other one who's described as plain. Yeah. And um, her, her one redeeming feature is a singing. <laughs> well, no, but it's clear that redeeming, it's not much of a redeeming feature. Like, if her singing is a redeeming feature, I hate to imagine how bad her other qualities must be. Because. Mm. And she sings and everybody's like, oh, that's lovely, that's lovely. And somebody kind of half-heartedly goes, yeah, yeah, you should um, sing again or something. And she goes, okay! Yeah. Like, doesn't <laughs> doesn't need any encouragement at all, just right back up. Yeah, yeah. And uh, eventually they sort of, they, they, they quietly shunt her to one side. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's all a bit, it's all a bit awkward. Uh, for, the, for the rest of the, the night, uh, Mr. Collins sticks to, Sticks to Lizzie like a leech, and um, unsurprisingly, when Chapter Nineteen rolls round, um, he asks her to marry him. Uh, this is the following day. Um, as part of his proposal, he says, "I'm run away with my feelings," and Lizzie thinks that's completely absurd considering what he's like. <laughs> well, he's, maybe he's run away with his feelings of extreme pomposity. I'm just—I'm yeah. so full of my own importance. I need to marry you. <laughs> He also lays out his his burning desire to marry for for three reasons, and he reels them off. <laughs> One is to set an example to his uh, his flock. Two is because it will make him happy, and three is because his patron wants him to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this scene was just absolutely magnificent. I was reading this, and we got to the bit with the three points, and I was like, oh, I wonder how how kind of cartoon this is going to be, like, because this is an opportunity to put a bit of human feeling in there. But no, Jane Austen does not give a shit. She plows right in. She gives him a, the first the first reason, which is 
extremely pompous. The second reason, which is entirely focused on Mr. Collins himself. And the third reason, I'm like, surely now he's going to be like, and also, I love you, my darling. No chance. No chance. Also, my patroness, this rich woman who you've never met and who I never stopped talking about, reckons I should get married. So you'll do. <laughs> yeah. Um, Lizzie says no, and she basically says we wouldn't make each other happy, which is a, a nice way of putting it. I just don't like you very much. <laughs> and um, But even that doesn't deter Mr. Collins particularly because he assumes that that's just part of the process and that women are supposed to say no a couple of times to marriage and then eventually they'll say yes just to keep their sort of honour intact he's basically hide, hiding behind social structure to sort of yeah to sort to, of convince himself that she does want to marry him to magnificently ignore do you know what mr collins pay fucking attention no means no all right <laughs> Bloody hell. And I love I love that Lizzie stays in the game as well. Like I can't name any other novel from within a hundred years of this one where mm. where the heroine in this situation literally becomes exasperated and goes, I don't know how much more clearly you want me to tell you no. I don't know, when I say no, you think I mean yes. So if I say really no, you think I mean really yes. You're not getting the message. No, not ever, never. I'm never gonna marry you. <laughs> And I just she absolutely lays the smack down on this total weevil, and it's amazing. <laughs> Chapter twenty, we say no means no, but Mrs. Bennett seems to, uh, you know, pimp mummy as I might start calling her. <laughs> You've had that in your pocket since moment one, haven't you? Just waiting <laughs> to bring it out. Pimp well, mummy. That's to... what we're calling this one. <laughs> yeah. She's trying to smooth things over. She said, oh, well, you know, she probably does want to marry you. She's just uh, she's just a bit awkward or something like that. I don't know. Um, she also says she's she tries to draw a distinction between... Because she says, oh, yeah, Lizzie's quite headstrong. And Mr. Collins is like, oh, I'm not sure I want a wife who's headstrong. And, uh, and then Mrs. Bennett's like, oh, well, she's headstrong in this sort of aspect of marriage. But for the rest of the time, she's really submissive and don't worry about it. She'll be fine. <laughs> she's basically saying whatever she needs to to keep this marriage proposal alive. <laughs> um. It's shameless, isn't it? It's so, yeah. so absolutely rubbish. Um, Dad comes to the rescue, though. Mr. Ben- they have this conversation where you've got Lizzie and Mr. and Mrs. Bennett. Mrs. Bennett's saying, you've got to marry him. And she's expecting her husband to say the same but Mr Bennett comes out with the opposite and he basically hang on where's the quote let me bring it up because it's a bit of a classic one isn't it he says an unhappy alternative is before you Elizabeth from this day you must be a stranger to one of your parents your mother will never see you again if you do not marry Mr Collins and I will never see you again if you do boom um yeah, yeah, and I, at that moment, it's great to imagine the expression on Mrs. Bennett's face yeah. as she suddenly realizes that is not going to back her. Up. That's amazing. That's and is this is this the second occurrence in about twenty pages of another <gasps> moment? Is that did that happen again, or do you think she's just like white with fury? Sort of wait till I get you home. <laughs> yeah, uh, and the, the upshot of this at the end of the chapter. Mr. Collins effectively withdraws his offer, doesn't he, of marriage? Yeah, yeah. To, to nobody's that. surprise or regret, apart from Mrs. Bennett. Um, yeah. But which brings me to a question, which I, I think is quite interesting. Like, so there are a few things in this. Like when Elizabeth's talking to Mr. Collins, she turns him down, and then she says, 
you know, look, you and you are now released from your obligation to try and marry one of my sisters as well, like in order mm. to keep the house in the family sort of thing. Um, mm. Like you're released from that obligation. And that struck me as being quite like, quite forthright in her part because um, because at the end of the day, it was very easy back then to be poor and not very easy to be well off or able to provide for yourselves, right? Which is mm. what's kind of behind, for all that Mrs. Bennett is, is a, an insufferable interfering harridan. That's actually her point and purpose is I've got five daughters of no economic value and they all need to get food for the rest of their lives. So I need to get mm. them married off. So for all that, in the, in like the sweep of the book, I'm a huge fan of Lizzie's like forthright nature. And and the line that her dad says, you're right, is an absolute classic. And, and I love him for saying it. And, and for all that it absolutely chimes with what I think, in my kind of 21st century perspective, should be, is this a bit wrong? Like, is she just being selfish? And is her dad just being really, really irresponsible? Because there's no guarantee that they're all going to get married, you know. This could have been her yeah. last chance. Well, it's it's funny with the, with the inheritance stuff, uh, where later on Mrs. Bennett's talking about how um, it means, you know, when Mr. Collins marries uh, this, uh, the, the friend of, of Lizzie's, Charlotte, instead. Mm. And they're talking about, oh, how, how terrible it would be that Charlotte's now going to inherit their land mm. because it's obviously passing to Collins. And Mr. Bennett says, oh, well, you know, maybe I'll outlive him. And um, <laughs> and Bennett's like, of course you won't. But yeah, that, I think that really shows how... Um, yeah, laid back, maybe extremely so, uh, Mr. Bennett is to the prospect it, of the family losing the sort of family home. Is it possible that he's on the weed? <laughs> Wouldn't that be amazing? Like, it just because yeah. there's, a, there's a kind of laid backness here, like to the exclusion of all kind of engagement in what's going on around him, which makes him yeah. incredibly benign, really chilled out, really, really cool guy. But there is a little bit where you're like sort of, did you remember to uh, go to work this morning? <laughs> yeah. I'll be honest with you, I haven't done a thing. It's all good, though. Have a knick-knack. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, he's, he's not alone in having done a thing, is he? Because <laughs> most of these characters never do anything. Yeah, actually, that's um, very true. So he said, wow, do we need to broaden the scope of this then? Are they, are they just all token all day long? <laughs> But they're just missing that um, that part of the, the the weed experience where you all sit down and go, yeah, well, we're all the same. We're just being put in these boxes, but we're just all the same. There's never any discussion no, about that. But that's in the subtext, Matt, you see. That's not in the dialogue. That's in the subtext. <laughs> I'm telling you, yeah. this this is, I, I, I think there's a, there's a Kevin Smith adaptation of this book to be made. <laughs> if you can do a zombies adaptation of Pride and Prejudice, you can do a weed adaptation for sure. <laughs> Anyway, sorry. Uh, the interesting thing about the match with Mr. Collins is I think they're missing a trick with setting up the right daughter because, look, okay, Jane's all after Mr. Bingley, so so she's out of the question. Lizzie obviously doesn't like Mr. Collins and is far too sort of uh, willful and intelligent to, to be pushed towards him, so fine. The two youngest girls don't like him because he's not a soldier, basically, so fine. There is another sister... The insufferably boring one who can only sing and is quite plain. 
and I don't. I just wonder if it's a bit of a match made in heaven for those two, and how they, how Mrs. Bennett just didn't see it. Yeah, that's really weird. Like you would think, wouldn't you? So that you wouldn't be so blind to the realities of the situation, so desperate to get people married off that you would be like, okay, so we've got a really boring wanker here. Which mm. one of my children is closest to being a really boring wanker? <laughs> Oh, I think I'll pick the one that's full of witty repartee and isn't isn't intimidated by distinctions of rank, privilege, or class. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Lizzie, in you go. Schoolboy error, I mean, Mrs. Bennett. Schoolboy uh, error. I'm not saying that Mary's not going to be a hard sell to uh, to even to Mr. Collins, oh. but I think you've got a better chance than that. Ah, she'll be. She already sings songs. Just give her just give her hymns, ancient and modern, and twenty minutes to practice. Yeah, exactly. She'll have him proposing by the time she gets to I don't know. All things bright and beautiful. That's quite close to the beginning, isn't mm. it? <laughs> uh, now, chapter twenty-one. There's this trip to Meryton where uh, Lizzie meets Wickham again. Not really much to say about that. But the big thing in this chapter is there's a, a letter that comes from the Bingleys, and it turns out Mr. Bingley and family have moved back down to London for the time being, but maybe for a long time. And it's this letter from one of his sisters, from one of the Miss Bingleys, mm. and she's saying she's basically given the impression that he's moved away. He's probably not coming back. He's going to be interested in somebody else down there, and he's not. Basically, she's pouring cold water on the very the idea of Jane and Mister Bingley ending up together, and Jane's gutted. Yeah, and Lizzie is sort of reading between the lines and saying, "I think this is more." the sisters trying to come between you than him just losing interest. Yeah. Yeah, and that's very clear, isn't it? And this is where the the sisters Bingley go from being sort of slightly cattish irritations to being like, oh, that's cold, lady. That is cold. You're just going to move them all out of town on a whim. No (laughs) need. No need. Yeah. But that's what's happened. So bad news for, for, uh, for for lovely Jane. Um, oh, lovely Jane. <laughs> chapter 22, and uh, Miss Charlotte Lucas snares herself a husband. Oh, it's, lucky uh, for her. Mi- Who is it? <laughs> it's a big one. <laughs> <laughs> the big it's, C. It's, it's, Mr. <laughs> it's big C. <laughs> she, she's got to marry big C. It's Mr. Collins. <laughs> lucky man. Yeah, Mr. Collins, and it's it's quite clear um, from every conversation that that Charlotte has now that the reason she's marrying him um, is is not for his excellent recitals of sermons. It's not for his unusual approach to social niceties. It's because he's going to inherit the uh, the Bennett family land. <laughs> so, Longbourn. Yeah, oh, I suppose if you, I mean, you might as well be honest about it. There's no point. It's a little bit sort of Anna, Anna Nicole Smith, isn't it? Oh, no, no, no. We just, we, we get on really well. We have really wonderful conversations. That was, no, no, no. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. You're marrying for so, money and enough respect. Yeah, so good news for Charlotte. And I would also venture good news for the gene pool, seeing as he's not marrying one of his cousins now. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's an element of this book, which I think we should draw out a little bit, just how utterly normal it is for people to have it suggested to them that they should marry their own cousins. Yeah. <laughs> that's not all right. That's not all right. Yeah. Um, it's inter- Charlotte says, when, when Charlotte tells Lizzie about this marriage, Lizzie's really surprised because she's like, you don't really suit each other. 
And um, Charlotte's quite hard-headed. She says, um, I'm not a romantic. Uh, I never was. I ask only for a comfortable home. And that's basically... She she sees... She's very similar to Mrs. Bennett in that respect, isn't she? She sees marriage as a business transaction. you just got to get what you can out of it. Yeah. And it's your one real shot. If you're a woman in this society at this time, it's your one real shot of having a decent life yeah. is finding the right husband. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because Mr. Collins has now got a love interest down the road, he assures the family that he's leaving, but he will return soon. And there's just this general horror across the household at the prospect <laughs> of him coming back. <laughs> you can imagine the faces, can't you, for the two halves of that sentence? I'm leaving now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm coming back. What? Yeah. What? <laughs> You're back. He's coming back. <laughs> Yeah, and um, and Lizzie, for her part, as we said, feels feels really sorry for Charlotte because because of you know the fact that she's not marrying someone that she's going to actually fall in love with at all. And um, it's interesting that Lizzie doesn't even consider this uh, this political you know business transaction aspect of a marriage. It's she's quite extreme in the other way in that she thinks all that is is fairly irrelevant. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And it is very, very debatable as to which one of those viewpoints is more reasonable given the kind of world that they exist in. Mm. And actually, I tell you what, yeah. the fact that so much of the plot hinges on that question, this is just a little little thing about the broader book, is one of the reasons the book is so great is that it can get you to really appreciate the kind of ins and outs of that that dilemma and that scenario, despite the fact that this hasn't been the way it works in the UK for you know, many times longer than we've been alive. Mm. I think it's just really fantastic writing to communicate the world in that way. Yeah. I also think Lizzie's character is quite carefully constructed in that as she's thinking all this, she is, um, looks like she's wants to end up with Wickham, who's not particularly well off. I think he was the son of a steward or something, so he's quite poor. Mm -hmm. And I think that's quite important because if at this stage she was chasing Darcy it feels quite hypocritical because it's easy to say, I just want to marry for love if it just so happens that the person that you love is is extremely rich, so it doesn't matter anyway. Hmm. But uh, And I think that the fact that this does this Wiccan part just nullifies that a bit and it makes it easier to, 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 to get on side with Lizzie. Yeah, 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 that's very true. Uh, chapter 23. Uh, the news of the Collins marriage reaches the rest of the family... There are shockwaves, and unsurprisingly, Mrs. Bennett is not greatly happy with this new chain of events. <laughs> Pimp mummy, she's not into it. Yeah, you just you can just feel throughout this entire chapter this sort of in, enduring sort of sense of simmering fury uh, of Mrs. Bennett. It's not really simmering, <laughs> is it? She doesn't really have a subtlety switch. Like if she's angry about, she has no inner monologue. That's the thing, isn't it? None. If, if it's happening in her head, she's going to talk about it over and over again from every single conceivable angle. That's exactly what she does. Yeah. Uh, and Collins is coming back as well. And he's not received quite as warmly as he was last time. <laughs> that was quite... <laughs> all, the, all the rest of the... Yeah. Sorry, I just have this wonderful image of them, like, like you know, he, like they serve him his dinner and they take the lid off the plate and it's just a shoe. There you go. Eat that. <laughs> yeah. Eat it all. Yeah. 
the the Bennets are horrified, but I was really pleased at this point because he is it it is a lot of fun just to watch him wandering around and interacting with these people, isn't it? He's a, he's he's a really good character to keep at the forefront, really. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very true. Uh, chapter twenty four, and it's clear that the Bingleys are staying in London, London for the winter, so it's looking even more certain that Jane's gonna struggle to to see Bingley again and Miss Bingley says as well that he's going to marry Miss Darcy apparently or that she expects that to happen at some point fair enough we've not met Miss Darcy have we she was away somewhere no is she was she like sickly or was she yeah um, she's well she's away somewhere and um, I think Lizzie doesn't particularly like her just by extension of the fact that she's related to Darcy I also think I think Wickham bad-mouthed her to Lizzie as well. He said she's not particularly nice. How realistic um, do you find this this thing of like Wickham blows into town and Lizzie's like, obviously, I believe absolutely everything you say about these people. Yeah, I don't find that hard to believe at all, really, because it's like when you sort of suddenly come across somebody who you immediately fall for, then you you're very likely to believe whatever they say, um, even against your better judgment just because of the fact that you like them so much. I, I, I think that's all right. Yeah, yeah, actually that's true, isn't it? Yeah. Where are we? Oh, yeah, so I th- it's kind of... The, that, that, this chapter 24 is kind of just a, a repeat of what we've had before, to be honest, because it's just another letter saying that he's, Bingley's staying away and Lizzie, again, saying, oh, maybe there's more to it, maybe it's more about his sisters than it's about him, and Jane saying, oh, maybe... Um, which, I don't know. When I read that, I thought I'm sure I've read this chapter before. Yeah, it, anyway. it was a little bit. I think this was one of the ones where I just had to sort of bullet through it. Mm. Uh, chapter 25, and Christmas comes round, and it's not the happiest Christmas as Mrs. Bennett is still showing how she she's really just disappointed in Lizzie, isn't she? Because she thinks she's yeah. she she went to all those lengths to to set something up. Um, even though she didn't really do a great deal, but she just helped facilitate it, Mrs. Bennett. Mm. And Lizzie has thrown away a chance of a comfortable marriage. Yeah. And Mrs. Bennett just can't understand why. And, and also, it has. But the thing is, it has wider implications, doesn't it? Because it puts the the whole family estate at risk now. And she could have protected that by marrying Mr. Collins. Yeah, that's exactly what I mean. Like, I'm kind of I'm I'm minded to say like. I'm minded to say that Mrs. Bennett, though she is a cretin, does have a reasonable point at this point. Mm. Although I would, as I said before, I would say she could have played that better by finding a more suitable sister, and I think there was one which she could have conceivably found. Oh yeah, she is a total moron as well. But uh, like broadly speaking, I'm minded to agree with her. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mrs. Bennett's brother and wife come up from London. Uh, these are the gardeners, not the profession. That's the surname. And. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and that they offer they offer for Jane to to accompany them back to London because that's where they're from, mm. and that's this is sort of a maybe a bit of a chance for Jane to bump into Mister Bingley. But they do say you know we we move in different circles; they're not exactly the same social class. These two families, mm-hmm. so she's going to go there just for a change of scenery and maybe on the off chance she can she can meet up with the Bingleys again. Mm-hmm. Uh, so chapter twenty six. Uh, this is the this is the wedding. Uh, Charlotte and Mr. Collins, Big C, get married, and uh, sorry, and then they're off to laugh more than they should. <laughs> big C, do you, Big yeah, C? 
<laughs> Carry on. Yeah, and then then they ride off to Kent with in a carriage with a massive sea above it and some like clinking cans behind. <laughs> picked out, picked out in like uh, in glitter and stuff. It's a great She's rap a... name, isn't it? Big C, yo. Big C, yeah. She's got a ring which has got a massive C on it. She's uh, what the, the wedding ring he gives her. <laughs> it's from the family collection. <laughs> uh, so that's that they get married and then they're off to Kent uh, in the meantime Jane heads to London and she gets a series of brush offs from the. we hear this from letters that she writes back to Lizzie mm. she gets a series of brush offs from the Bingleys basically from Miss Bingley um, she keeps offering to have them round and stuff and I think she, she bumps into them a couple of times and she's almost stonewalled and she starts to realise that you know, this she's she's tried Jane so far to just imagine all these different circumstances which have forced the uh, Bingley sisters into not speaking to her much. Yeah. But she's suddenly dawning on her that actually they're trying to just separate her away from them now. And that that is some cold shit. That is that's yeah. not all right at all. And he's really there is a really sad bit, isn't it, where it says like you know having sat in for fourteen nights in a row trying to think up different excuses for them not to have come. Yeah. And you're like. Yeah, that's yeah. cold. It's a shame. Although it is quite interesting to note that that sort of totally unpleasant, horrible behaviour in a character did not originate with the high school movie, uh, but well, it, but in fact originated back in the seven, like whatever this is, seventeen eighties. <laughs> Still very much alive today, which is lovely. Yeah, isn't it great? Endured. Human nature doesn't change. <laughs> yeah, there's also this um, little note that Mister Wickham seems to have seems to be going after someone called Miss King now. Mm. And um, and she just just so happens that Miss King has suddenly inherited a small fortune. Um, <laughs> maybe that's a maybe that's relevant. By a happy it? chance. <laughs> yeah. um, chapter 27, and Lizzie heads down to uh, Kent to visit Charlotte. And this means, obviously, if you know your geography of the great isles that are Great Britain. Um, to get to Kent, you basically go past London uh, if you're coming from further north. So she can look in on Jane as she goes. So she meets up with Jane in London mm-hmm. and uh, and the gardeners, of course. Uh, uh, definitely. With their gardening yeah, equipment. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. uh, now you've said that. I totally and, didn't think of that the first time I went through it. Now you've said that. All I can imagine is whenever you say, and the gardeners are there, as you imagine, this family of people <laughs> with like rakes and hoes. <laughs> Yeah, well, the gar- its not all gardening for the gardeners because uh, they're planning to go on a tour of pleasure, um, <laughs> which is which is nowhere near as as seedy as it sounds. I don't think. Well, yeah, but although the- you know you would struggle, wouldn't you? Because they do say they're going to go to the Lake District. I love the idea of people yeah. going on like a like a balls out lads holiday. Lads on tour, going to Carlisle. It's, it doesn't fly, does it? <laughs> yeah. So they, but but yeah. So they're basically going on a holiday, and Lizzie, considering she's been working so hard at doing nothing, deserves a holiday. So um, <laughs> she's really excited about going with her aunts. I, I'm amazed that um, sometimes it's just how easy um, all these people have it. Yeah, it's, <laughs> considering it is the time of, isn't it? <laughs> considering the time it's set as well, and how crap it was for most people. Yeah, yeah, but most people couldn't read or write, which means that most people don't make much of a, an appearance in literature yeah. from the time, do they? So yeah, yeah, but they just they, they, most of these people do just swan around, yeah, um, 
just enjoying thing, enjoying the finer things in life and wondering who they're going to end up marrying. Well, but that's um, how it was, wasn't it? I mean, this is, you know, people mm. say he has £10,000 a year or whatever, and that's a big deal. What that means is it's not a lump sum of money. It's they own land, the tenants of which mm. pay them a total of £10,000 a year. So they own fantastic, huge amounts of money and land, and that's how it was. And I mm. think I think you're right in saying that that's fairly disgusting. But mm. a different age. Yeah. Yeah. Although it does still exist. Yeah, it, it does. Um, it does. And I'm going to leave that um, that that condemnation on the record. <laughs> uh, if anybody out there is living in those kind of situations, then um, my address <laughs> is available if you email us and I accept checks. Yeah, it's a good chance of listening to this because they've nothing else to do. <laughs> they just for oh God, do we? Is that our demographic? Is that do we pitch ourselves to the idle rich? And if so, shouldn't we start charging for this? Uh, right. Okay, let's move swiftly on. Hmm. Chapter twenty-eight. Uh, not a great deal to say about this. They arrive at the Collins residence. Um, I quite like how Mr. Collins is showing Lizzie round in a very kind of take a look at what you could have won bullseye thing. Sorry. <laughs> that's, that's really, really funny. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because like, the thing is that, like, because Lizzie's not the character that's going to rise to that. So, like, yeah. he's just, he's on, a, he's on the very definition of a hiding to nothing. If he's hoping to get her to be jealous at that point, surely. Yeah. <laughs> he does his best, though, doesn't he? he? Does. All Look, see what you missed. See my delightful, complete collection of every boring sermon ever delivered, arranged in order <laughs> of dullness. You could have been <laughs> yeah. in here on a rainy Wednesday afternoon reading to your heart's content. <laughs> or re- reading to me. Reading, from the book yeah, reading sermons. to me to my heart's content. See what you've missed. <laughs> At the end of this chapter, Collins gets extremely excited because uh, Lady Catherine's daughter um, rides past in a carriage and um, invites them up to the up to the I don't know the mansion or whatever the stately home, whatever it is, uh, to to meet well to spend some time with Lady Catherine, which is a which is probably the the single greatest moment of Mr. Collins's week. So he's <laughs> thoroughly excited about that. He is, isn't he? Um I like I like the bit where like so we're introduced to to Mr. Berg who hmm. by 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 the way, any relation to Christerberg? Should we get into that? I was just thinking that. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to call her Christerberg from now on. So Christerberg got a lady in red. drives past. We're in red, obviously. And, and they Never have this... seen you looking so lovely as you did. <laughs> I was going to let you off the songs after the Watchmen thing, but, um, uh, but if, if you want to get back into it, Matt, I'd be my guest. <laughs> I think I've done that in both of these podcasts today, that song. That's... <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry um, I love the whole description of that scene where she kind of pulls up and like um, it's Collins and Mrs Collins run out there to talk to her and um, and uh, what's his name Mr Lucas or Sir William Lucas hangs around in the yeah. background in this kind of like like bobbing his head and just bowing desperately whenever Christopher Berg looks <laughs> in his direction and and, yeah. and, and he, I mean how 
fucking foolish do you have to just be like what on what level do you think there's another human being in the universe who is going to derive pleasure from you standing around in the middle distance and bowing whenever they happen to glance within <laughs> you know the 25 degrees on the circle that you inhabit and and if there is such a human being why the fuck are you humoring them in that desire like i just i don't understand <laughs> Yeah, he's um he's the father-in-law, isn't he? So he's uh, Charlotte's dad, and he's um yeah he, he seems he comes across as like a, a a thoroughly nice guy, but yeah, a bit sort of bit of an airhead. Yeah, um, and yeah, and I think to be honest, I think that's what Lizzie, I think Lizzie thinks that of him while they're on the coach journey down. She she finds the she finds the journey quite boring because yeah. she's kind of stuck in a carriage with this guy. Who, isn't particularly bright. Um, <laughs> Sorry. I remember there's a little bit later on where uh, there's a conversation about how far it is from Lizzie's home to this place. And yeah. um, and and that's just what you said just there sheds whole new light on that experience where Lizzie's <laughs> insisting that it's a really long way. And I forget who it is, the other person is like, oh, no, it's not far, it's 50 miles. And you just imagine it going, yeah, Darcy, listen, yeah, yeah. you do it in that fucking carriage with that fucking man. You tell me that it's not a long way, all right? It's a long <laughs> way. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, chapter 29, they visit uh, Lady Catherine. I was quite surprised that um, she's, you know, Lady Catherine, she's condescending and she's got this sense of enormous privilege, but she's actually surprisingly pleasant. Um, yeah, she's not a total ass when they first turn up. Although although she does, she over the course of the next couple of chapters, she does crack right into it. Like, yeah. you know, like basically kind of telling everybody how they should live their lives and expecting yeah. them to be grateful for it. Um, yeah. But right now, you're right. She is. She does have that kind of welcome thing going on, um, yeah. which I thought was I, quite w- w- surprising, actually, given how I've seen it portrayed. Yeah. Well, I, I wonder if it's because of, of how, uh, you know, portrayals have gone. Or my... I, I always thought, maybe it's because in certain dra- adaptations of this, she's portrayed that way. I almost imagined her as a like Miss Havisham character like a, oh, right. a from a so from Great Expectations so a really sort of um, bitter and nasty old woman really yeah and and she's not that really she, she's she's got that sense of condescension she does tell everybody what to do and expect them to like her for it mm. but um, that's more a sort of a byproduct of of how her life's gone for that, you know, if you spend almost all of your life telling people what to do and having them all thank you for it, you probably expect people to treat you that way in the future. You're conditioned into being a condescending ass, I suppose. Hmm. Um, Yeah. Everybody but Lizzie is extremely in awe of just how rich she is as well, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. And that's like I was saying earlier on, I just really love, Lizzie's response, like other like other people, people who are ostensibly far further up the kind of social climbing ladder than Lizzie is, are so terrified. They can, like, uh, Sir William can't do anything other than walk in there and bow really low and then sit down as quickly as possible without saying anything, presumably because mm. he's terrified that he'll poo himself or something. Whereas Lizzie's just like, quite a nice place you've got here, really, isn't it? Uh, it's all right, this. <laughs> Do you get it in Ikea yeah. or what? Do you know, she's just not overwhelmed by it at all, and I love that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, chapter 30, it's clear that Lady Catherine is effectively running the village. 
and Mr. Collins is her eyes and ears. So there, there are all these people who live nearby the massive mansion where Lady Lady Catherine lives, mm. and Mr. Collins is always delivering news of what's going on in the village to to Lady Catherine. Mm-hmm. And on occasion, she'll go down and get involved and sort out a dispute or um, just. But I think it's it's Can you it's imagine? partly. <laughs> it's part. It's partly being sort of a motherly justice of the peace, and it's partly just sticking her nose in wherever she feels. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I would say mostly out of column B, out of those two options. <laughs> Can you imagine living yeah. in the village? You know, having one of these nice little whatever cottages, working in the village, whatever you're doing, you know, and then and then you know, oh, let's say I don't know, you have a bit of an argument with the fella next door, and then. You'd almost stop the argument before it got started, just because you would know that if you didn't, that if it escalated, you would be getting a, a visit from her upstairs. Horrible. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. yeah. And uh, it's quite. I quite like this little uh, example of Mister Collins's or Big C's utter devotion <laughs> to Lady Catherine, in that whenever she goes into town, he always sort of runs into the room to let his wife know what she's up to. It's like, oh, Lady Catherine's going to town. Okay, right. And then he scurries back in again and she's like, Lady Catherine's coming back from town. <laughs> Every day he does yeah, this. To no, to no discernible purpose. It's not like Lady Catherine's coming into town. All oh, right, I'll, I'll get the tea ready then. She'll be coming in here. It's just like yeah. the whole of our lives revolves around the movements of this eminent personage. Yeah, yeah. Weird. Speaking of eminent personages, uh, Mr. Darcy arrives oh. along with this colonel called... I think it's Colonel Fitzwilliam, which isn't at all confusing considering Darcy's first name is Fitzwilliam. <laughs> it's almost um, Abbott and Costello, isn't it? Fitzwilliam? <laughs> yes. Fitzwilliam is Fitzwilliam. Fitzwilliam is who? Fitzwilliam is here. But I'm Fitzwilliam. Who are you? Fitzwilliam, of course. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Lizzie takes this opportunity to, to put Darcy on the spot and ask him why um, his family or the Bingleys haven't visited Jane yet. And, uh, and he just sort of looks uncomfortable. <laughs> doesn't say anything surprisingly <laughs> chapter 31 and there's another visit to uh, Lady Catherine uh, it turns out that yeah I think we've, we may have heard this before that there's a there's a relation I think is Darcy a nephew of Lady Catherine uh, that's right yeah yeah okay yeah. Lizzie plays piano after Darcy says that his sister is good at it almost as a little sort of sod you <laughs> 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 Although she says it in a much more refined way, naturally. Yeah. Uh, Lizzie has a bit of a go at Darcy to say that, you know, that first ball at Netherfield, um, you had four dances, um, only four dances, when there was loads of women in the room and sort of hardly any men. Yeah. She's having a go at him, basically. Yeah. And, uh, and, he, and he says that, you know... He's not used to. He's not very good at that kind of thing. He's he kind of says, in his own way, that he's a bit shy when it comes to that. Yeah. And she just says that's no excuse, and that if you're not good at something, you get better at it by doing it more. Yeah. And um, and yeah, it's just a, again quite a nice little exchange, isn't it? Yeah, very much. And it's one. Of, it's a very important scene because the whole plot of the book hangs off the estrangement between these two characters, who are actually clearly, in their senses, quite similar. Um. Mm. But you've got to get them together at certain points throughout the narrative. Otherwise, you sort of forget why you're supposed to want them to be together. And mm. this is a really good example. of. And, of course, also it deepens their relationship. So it means it just doesn't turn up out of the blue. So um, it's a really good example of how that's kind of achieved. 
And so we've, you know, so I was talking before about Darcy being a bit of a, essentially a bit of a knobhead. And, you know, Lizzie would seem to agree with me here. But what do you think? Do you think his excuse sort of flies? Are we a bit more sympathetic after this? Uh, I think it depends how inclined you are to be sympathetic to her, doesn't it? Yeah. Because he's, um, yeah, some people are like that, aren't they? And you can see the point from both sides. If you're shy, you're shy. You know, it doesn't really, it's not a skill that you improve. Although, you know, you can sometimes hide behind that. And, you know, you sometimes say, if you're not good at, like, like Lizzie says, if you're not good at something, just try. And the more you try, the better you get at it. And it's, uh, uh, yeah. maybe it's a case of, you know, Darcy's never been told that before. No one ever tells someone of that social standing that you've got to do, unless it's his mum or dad. Um, you're never really forced into, especially once you reach maturity, no one's going to say, you should be doing this. So he can just do whatever he wants. If something's a bit difficult, he can just leave it because yeah. there's no, and especially when it comes to, you know, finding a wife in this society. He's going to have so many offers because he's so rich. It doesn't really matter how horrible he is to people. Yeah, he's allowed to do that, isn't he? Because <laughs> of the because st- of the status that he's got. Yeah, and it is. It's all about status. It's all about the fact that he's wealthy enough not to have to worry about things. So, kind yeah. of, the world will come to him. He doesn't have to go to the world. Um, mm. And he and he clearly, you know, he needs that because if he was relying on his good looks and charm to get him through the world, you know. Point one, he excels at. Point two, it's just nowhere. He's about as charming as a wet fish to the face. <laughs> uh, ch- chapter 32, Darcy visits Elizabeth alone. Um, he turns up at the house and just so happens that everybody else is out. So he comes in and sits down and they have a chat and it's the first time that they've been alone together. And the conversation is, is quite... There's an interesting conversation about do you need to settle near your family? Mm. Um and he's Darcy's just sort of, sort of feeling out Lizzie to see if you know is she like the other members of her family, insofar as they were really excited when Bingley moved to Netherfield because it was next door and they can't imagine having children going any further afield than next door, and he's saying you know would you know, is it that bad to maybe move somewhere a bit further <laughs> away? It feels like he's. It feels like he's sort of carefully feeling the layout of the land to see if Lizzie would be interested in possibly... And she shuts it down (laughs) straight away. (laughs) She just completely misses it. Yeah, that's it. I don't think she does it kind of maliciously, but I think here she really is like kind of, sorry, did you want to... No. Like, (laughs) she leaves him in absolutely no doubt as to her feelings on living in for the sake of argument and pick completely at random. Derbyshire. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, there's this conversation about why Darcy and Colonel Fitzwilliam are just hanging around so much. And Lizzie is put to Lizzie that maybe one of them likes her. And she, as far, as far as Darcy's concerned, says that she thinks that him constantly visiting the Collins household is just because he's incredibly bored. He's got nothing to do all day at the moment. And just think about that for a minute, Dave. How bored you'd have to be to decide <laughs> a visit to Big C's house for another one of his great sermons is the best <laughs> thing you want to do with your afternoon. So are we being asked here to kind of pity the idle rich? These poor buggers who have nothing to do but go around to each other's houses and listen to people recite other people's sermons. Yeah, it must be hard, wasn't it? Dear, um, oh dear. 
Final chapter for today is 33, and this is um, Colonel Fitzwilliam and Lizzie are having a walk around the, the grounds. It's one of the other things that they can do with the time. And um, Yeah, the days are packed, Matt. I don't know what you're talking about. You can walk around <laughs> yeah. the grounds, you can walk down the road, you can walk to somebody yeah. else's house, you can walk back again. <laughs> Um, the, the the interesting thing about this conversation is um, the colonel, not the chicken man, but just the the guy. Sorry, the chicken man. It just <laughs> I can't say the colonel now without thinking of KFC. <laughs> well, it's worse worse for me actually. I can't think. I can't hear the colonel without hearing Peter Griffin going. Is Colonel Sanders here? <laughs> <laughs> from that scene in like season four, it's like a decade old. <laughs> All right, let, let, let's try. I'll just say Colonel Fitzwilliam. So yeah, the Colonel Fitzwilliam. It, it, um, sorry, go on. <laughs> oh god, carry on, carry on. Yeah, now you've made me think the, uh, of it, the, right? I was fine with it. And now all I can see is a sort of corpulent bearded <laughs> southern fellow. So uh, Lizzie and uh, the military man walk around the uh, the guard the grounds. <laughs> oh, I don't know why this is so difficult. <laughs> carry on, carry on. Okay, so. <laughs> oh, right. Mm. Woo! So, uh, Lizzie and Colonel Fitzwilliam are, are walking around the grounds, and it's interesting this for. Um, this bit of plot that's dropped into the conversation where Colonel Fitzwilliam says that Darcy's boasted to him or spoken about how he's managed to uh, help a friend avoid an an, un, an unworthy marriage recently. He's basically Darcy said, I've, I came between this friend of mine who was going to get married to someone who was just wasn't suitable for him and I've managed to stop it. And Lizzie's thinking, ah, the bastard. <laughs> this is who's responsible for Jane not getting married. Yeah, this is the last thing Darcy needed, isn't it, really? If indeed he is a bit keen on Jane, he's now, there's two pieces of information delivered by people who know him that have made him seem like even more of a shit than he seems because of his condescending nature. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this news upsets Lizzie so much that um, she gets a headache and then can't go to a dance. Um, just for a second there, so, I, th- I just I had this image in your head of you going. This news upsets Lizzie so much that she pulls out her AK forty seven and blows the motherfucker away. <laughs> no, that's something that would happen in Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, <laughs> which we will be coming on to in a second. <laughs> sorry, sorry, carry on. <clears throat> but yeah, no, that, that's that's where we leave it for today on a bit of a a bit of a drop. Uh, but so oh, that's oh, twice oh. now we've had moments where we've ended on Mister Darcy turns out to be a bastard. A, a mm. bounder, a rotter, and a cad. Exactly. Do you buy it? Exactamundo. Um, well, I, I that does seem something that he would do, <laughs> considering his haughty um, manner and his massive sort of love of privilege. You think, yeah, maybe he did think. Come on, come on, Bings. From a <laughs> from a hard nosed point of view, you can't be marrying this girl. She's not rich enough. Yeah. Come on, Bings. Come on. You can't marry the girl. I'm sorry. She just doesn't have enough bloody money. <laughs> Come on now, Bings. <laughs> but that's that. That's that. So what do you think of this whole, taken as a whole chunk, this part of the book? Do you feel we've really started to 
get the plot moving now? The plot is moving, although it, I mean, it's more sprightly in plot than many books of this era. But it's still quite meandering, isn't it? Like, there's she's not she, not scared of using two or three pages to put across, like you say, a letter which basically tells us everything we've known before. Um, mm. And there's a lot of lot of wordiness involved, um, but the plot's moving well enough, and the characters are being really um, deepened at this point. I, I mean, they they might not go beyond being kind of archetypes of characters, but they're all really well sketched, and the ones who are mm. funny are really funny. Um, yeah. yeah. So yeah, like it's I, I, it's the book has deepened. Although I've got it's not exactly a Tom Clancy novel for plot, is it? No, that's about it. Um, next time we're going to be reading to uh, just just so you know chapter fifty two. All right. So it's uh, thirty four to fifty two. Another nice big chunk of the book. And we should get some resolutions to one or two of these things. Um, I think it's time, Dave, to have a have a little look, a quick shamble along the road to uh, to Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, the uh, <laughs> the adaptation which drops in. Uh, all new scenes of bone crunching zombie mayhem to the to the plot. I don't know about you, Matt, but every page I've turned so far in the actual book, I've been thinking, yes, but it'd be so much better with zombies. <laughs> yeah, you thoroughly enjoyed this last time, so I'm looking forward to a reaction this time when I give you some of the changes that were made in this book. If to be honest, it it follows the plot, but if you don't know what we're talking about, just before we get into it, um, there's a new version of Pride and Prejudice which someone's basically taken. And dropped in a load of scenes of zombies in it. Um, <laughs> shall I give you a couple of the the differences? Please here? do. So that first ball that we were talking about over at Netherfield is a. Uh, do you remember the, the the very first one in the in the Pride and Prejudice and Zombies was interrupted by a massive zombie attack, which you had to fight off. Uh, this time, a few zombies get into the uh, into the kitchens and kill all the uh, all the servants. It was a problem back then, Matt, you know. Yeah, which means they might have to do some of their own cooking now. Um, Imagine the embarrassment. The, yeah. Uh, the reason <clears throat> the reason the Bingleys leave um, is because it's too dangerous in the countryside, mm. unsurprisingly. Um, and <laughs> it looks like Charlotte, uh, <clears throat> when she on her wedding day, there's this picture of her getting married and she looks dreadful. And... It's the. It appears that she's slowly turning into a zombie. <laughs> <laughs> this is so rubbish. Like, oh, it's all right. Sto- all right, you don't like that stocking well, filler, got- tutti stocking filler. All right, sorry, carry on. <laughs> I've got a. Um- <laughs> <laughs> what have you got, that? I shudder to imagine. <laughs> I've got a scene that might change your mind. It might bring you around on this. All right, hit me. Okay. Hit me. You, you you don't like the zombies, do you? Let me. I, let, let I'm going to say another. they're out of keeping with the thing. Let me add another element to it. Ninjas. <laughs> Fuck off! Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, serious. Put ninjas so, in it. So when um when when Lizzie visits Lady Catherine and Jemba, uh, there's this conversation where she's testing out Lizzie's. Uh, sort of just, just, just sort of assessing Lizzie, if you like. Yeah. The assessment is an altogether more visceral version in Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, where she's taken down to the dojo, and um, 
is involved in a fight to the death with a number of uh, Lady Catherine's personal ninjas. Uh, <laughs> Lady Catherine's, oh my God, Lady Catherine says at this point, "My dear girl," said her ladyship, "I suggest you take this contest seriously. My ninjas will show you no mercy." The um, the fight ends with uh, Elizabeth ripping out and eating the still beating heart of one of the ninjas. That is some, that's beyond ninja shit. That is, I don't know what that is. That's that's Temple of Doom with extra ninjas, isn't it? <laughs> I think I saw that in Dumb and Dumber, actually. <laughs> Do you remember that scene? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dumb yeah, yeah. Dumber? He pun- punches the chef guy and pulls his heart out and eats it. That's basically it. So, so um, this is Pride and Prejudice and Zombies and Dumb and Dumber. And ninjas. And ninjas. <laughs> all right, all right. Prediction then. Prediction then. There's going to be pirates yeah. in the next bit, aren't there? Because where there are ninjas so. in works of popular culture from the noughties, <laughs> pirates are not far behind. I, do you know what I hope? I hope there's an appearance of a guy who sails into the story on the, on a raft made of human corpses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then fails to do anything of thematic significance before going off and joining the people he was running away from. <laughs> Yeah, excellent. <laughs> That's um, uh, okay. episode four of our Watchmen coverage, by the way, if you'd like to understand that particular esoteric piece of bitter joking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, we've got a, a little bit of feedback just before the end um, from a friend across the pond, Max, who... Uh, this is a, he gives a fantastic. I mean, one thing he says is that there's so many comparisons between Pride and Prejudice and Downton Abbey. I haven't seen Downton Abbey, but I, d- I am vaguely aware that a lot of the plot points they've borrowed from novels like Pride and Prejudice, mm. unsurprisingly. Yeah. Um, but it's quite <laughs> a funny thing about how Max is consuming the content, if you like. Yeah. Um, He's 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 rather than reading along, he's following along with an audio book. So he sort of gets the audio version of Pride and Prejudice, listens to that, and then, you know, he's got the podcast later on. Right. And uh, apparently he says, I was doing some work on my wife's car over the weekend, and because my headphones kept falling out, I eventually just let it play over the audio speaker. So if you can picture somebody with their legs hanging out from under a sedan, blasting the audio book for Pride and Prejudice as neighbours walk by, that was my weekend. <laughs> Max, we salute you. Absolutely top work, mate. Superb. Just epic, isn't it? <laughs> I really hope it was read in the most kind of stentorian and proper of fake English accents. I really want that, that image in my head. That's what I want. Yeah. That's, that was great. All all power to that, and I hope you can find something something else suitably uh, manly to be doing with your time, uh, Max. When you when you listen to the next part, <laughs> which <laughs> which would be great. I absolutely love that image. Anyway, uh, that's that's us done for today. As we say, if if you're reading along or listening along with us, uh, as far as chapter fifty two next time. Um, it does rattle through the chapters. This book, doesn't it? I don't think we've ever we've ever done a book which has got to fifty two chapters before. No, I don't think so. Uh, although, although at times Game of Thrones felt like it. <laughs> um, <laughs> so until next time, uh, Dave. Any final thoughts? No, I, only only to say that I think I think the names are the masterpiece uh, of this one between Big C, Pimp Mummy, Big C, Pimp Mummy, <laughs> and Christopher. <Burke. laughs> 
and, and the Colonel. I'm, and the Colonel. I'm looking forward to their, their combined exploits next time. <laughs> well, till next time. Till next time, Matt.